And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 136, and joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? I am about to blow up. My, my, I'm about to have an aneurysm, I think. I'm uh, trying to pack in a podcast, uh, all questions answered thread on fan graphs, on rotographs. We, I know that we're, we're slacking a little bit on our pimping over there, but we will uh, turn it up. And, um, and and answer most of those questions, and then I'm going to try and get over to Petco to watch the soccer game, and uh, and then uh, s- seamlessly transition into the uh, clubhouse and, and interview Jay Bruce. But uh, I, I I really hope I don't screw this one up today. I also hope that you don't screw it up because if you jinx the United States men's national team, I will kill you. <laughs> and uh, we are happy to bring you a special USMNT edition of the podcast where we'll talk about nothing but soccer, especially Jay Bruce's sick left foot on set pieces, but why he has not been performing well lately in them. <laughs> Whoops, we already did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, crap. Well, anyway, uh, I mean... Uh, I, I think allow be be a lot of fantasy owners interested to hear what uh, you get as far as uh, Bruce is concerned because uh, he has not quite performed up to the par to the point where it's really stretched into. I mean, we're talking pretty much half the season, including a, a DL stint, uh, and it's it's disappointing. It's beyond disappointing at this point. So I'll be eager to see what that what you ha- what uh, what you get from him. Uh, but first, we have we have. I would like to take a brief moment also to talk about how much Jake area the sickens me. Uh, he, he, and it's just, it's, it's basically because I don't own him anywhere. And I, I kind of, I had, I had a, a bit of belief in, in him in his last couple of seasons in Baltimore. And it's kind of, uh, it just hurts now to see him throwing near no hitters, uh, for the Chicago Cubs. It's yeah. You know, I, 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 it's even harder for me because I only have a couple shares, and I actually traded one away um, last week. Even though I wrote that piece where I pointed out that his um, he's basically throwing the slider and fastball counts, and it's helping him with his command, um, and it's it's upping his strikeout rate and all that. And, and those all seem like very good things. But you know, I needed offense, and I traded him away. And then of course he goes out and almost throws a no hitter. Um, you know, the, 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 I would say this. Um, there's a big meat. There's a big uh, part of his history where he doesn't have any command. And it, it is nice to point to this idea that he's throwing the slider and, and in more fastball counts, and therefore, um, you know, he's, he, his command is improving. That's, that is a nice thing. And, you know, when I was working on that piece, I thought it was a cutter. And I thought, you know, it's really working for Jesse Chavez, this score for Arietta. But since, you know, Arietta said, no, it's a slider. The, the radio team contacted me and said, it's a slider. So, you know, everyone's sure of it's a slider. And other than a couple of relievers like Romo, um, you know, there, there aren't many people who, uh, who throw the slider, you know, 30-plus percent of the time and stay healthy and succeed. So, um, you know, I guess Masterson has done okay, but he's had his health uh, woes this, this season. And, um, and then the list, it goes down to Irvin Santana, who's been healthy. And um, then the list gets a lot worse. So <laughs> I, I have a feeling that even though this could be a solution in terms of, um, you know, his, what he needs to do to pitch better, I'm not sure it's a great long-term solution for his health. Yeah, hearing that, uh, I, I watched a good, bit of, uh, the portion, uh, a, good, a good portion of the start last night against Boston. And, uh, I mean, it looked like his command was great. Uh, obviously, it's going to look that way. In the start, uh, that turns out the way it did. But uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it does look like. Is there a process that a pitcher ever goes through uh, besides just it's, you know, uh, as far as a pitch sequence or anything like that? Is there a, pit, a process that a pitcher goes through where uh, I mean, it's just it's a refining of the command that occurs or anything like that? I mean, it's just in general, he seems to have uh, a much better understanding of the strikes or a much better ability to locate. 
Uh, and uh, I noticed last night I was I was watching the start because Tom Verducci, uh, because of the MLB si uh, network simulcast, and Tom Verducci made an interesting point. I thought that uh, he uh, observed that uh, his his delivery now begins almost from kind of a modified stretch. Uh, it's not really uh, kind of a classic delivery anymore. And you know, is you think that might be something that benefits him? I mean, it seems to be usually that's kind of the reverse for a lot of pitchers. That's just my guess. Yeah, you know, you, I think of um, Tim Lincecum's uh, problems um, from the stretch, and and it is a little bit of a weird thing. But I also know um, that um, uh, a couple of pitchers, and 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 Arietta in particular, have seen their release points sort of cluster tighter uh, in Chicago. And um, and I do think that there is a sort of natural um, uh, increase in command uh, for pitchers as they near their peak. I think that's one of the few things they can sort of improve. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we thought the peak was um, later than, than it was. I think, you know, I've always said, I think an athletic peak is sort of 24, 25. And then you have the sort of skills peak, which is maybe 27, 28. And the interaction between those has always confounded our research when it comes to, to peaks. Um, so I think that uh, walk rate or command is, is the type of thing that can improve because pitchers learn themselves. They throw away pitches they can't command, um, which is relevant to Arietta. And then they, they, they just sort of there's there's value in repetition. And the more you throw something, people tell me the changeup. The better, the more they throw the changeup, the better it gets. So um, I, I think there's something to this, like finding a good place and getting there. I'd love to do some research on how tight uh, tight clusters um, for these points that. You know, if you could sort of define a tight cluster and say, okay, um, you know, pitchers who had less than a three-inch variance in their cluster, other than the slider, there is something going on with Jake Arrieta, uh, which seems to have be going on a little bit with Chicago pitchers. I think some of their um, release points in Chicago are tightening up. In particular, Jake Arrieta's release points have have gone from a spread. I know a, a, a plucky reader spotted this on, on, on Twitter and, and pointed it out to me. So this is not, this is not my own, but I, I forget um, what his name was. But uh, you, you sort of, uh, you can look at him and they're, they're clustered tighter. His release points are clustered tighter. So I, I do think that uh, that is something that people can, uh, can improve over time. I've always talked about sort of an athletic skills peak. And I think the athletic peak, it, it, you'll see with velocity and, and power and, I just did a, 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 an aging curve for home runs for fly ball. That peaks at like 24, 25. Those are sort of athletic things. And then I think there's a skills peak, which is in terms of you know swing rate um, and, and command. Those things peak sort of later, 27, 28, 29. So I think you know, in Arietta's case, he's doing two things. He's throwing the slider more often, which is a pitch he can command more. Um, he's, he's changed his delivery a little bit. <clears throat> and... Um, and he uh, is, is, is sort of improving his command through, through his release point. So I, those things are great. I'm just worried uh, for Arietta that, you know, he's throwing 30% sliders. We, that was the cutoff for I when we did research on the, the detrimental health effects of the sliders. We said anybody who's over 30 uh, those guys went to the DL 10% more often. Um, so 30% sliders is sort of a cutoff. There's not a lot of people who do it. And there's a difference between Urban saying, who's been throwing 30% sliders and staying healthy his whole career, and Jake Arrieta, who's not been um, healthy a lot of his career and just suddenly started throwing 30% sliders. So, um, you know, I think he's a good cup. I think he's a mixed league guy. Um, you know, he's definitely worth holding on to just with that awesome strikeout minus walk rate, good ground ball rate. All the peripherals are good. The slider sort of explains some of the stuff. So it's great in a redraft league. I traded him away in a keeper league. Just I needed offense. Um, he was a look what I found sort of, out of <laughs> and, uh, I just figured, um, you know, I, I needed to move on and I couldn't bet too much on, on, on 30% sliders. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it, all that is interesting, especially, I mean, uh, it, it's impossible to say precisely how much credit the, for instance, Chris Bosio deserves, but clearly he deserves at least some of it. But uh, as you said, I mean, there's a number of things that seem to be going there and the health thing, I mean, I don't recall the exact nature of the injury, but Irvin Santana went through his own uh, his own period of health concerns a few year a few it was a few years ago. I want to say it was uh, shoulder problems, and so maybe that's not uh, a distinct. I mean, I, I typically associate heavy slider usage with uh, problems with the elbow, but um, 
uh, I mean, he's he's you know he. I mean, he's he's not really a max effort type guy. At least he hasn't been for a while. I don't think. Uh, but Arietta seems also kind of be a max effort guy, or at least closer to max effort. Uh, I am. I'm gonna make kind of assumption too that those things work in conjunction to be detrimental in the long term for a pitcher as well. Um, but uh, it, I mean, it's it's worth noting too that uh, the Arietta. I mean. One of the reasons I liked him is because he had surgery uh, a few off seasons ago to remove a bone spur in his right elbow, and uh, that's something he'd actually been pitching with since he was in high school. Uh, and uh, he—that's when he kind of noticed a jump in his velocity and his uh, control and command as well. I mean, he just kind of saw a spike in those things, but he really seemed to have trouble in understanding how to harness that stuff. And so it's. It's it's been overall it's been a positive, but at the same time it, there's there's a distinct injury in his history that uh, I'm pretty sure that there's kind of a, a long term association between bone spurs and or bone chips that uh, eventually kind of relates to. Uh, well, we say all the time, past injury predicts future injury. Yeah, uh, but and, and there's there's some sort of uh, high cor- uh, relatively high correlation between those types of injuries and eventually like problems with the UCL. So. Uh, just, just in general, it sounds like you know, enjoy Arietta while you can, uh, especially because it looks awesome, <laughs> and and also enjoy maybe I mean maybe because it does look so awesome, uh, like you know said you can deal for something that's quite snappy. And uh, we we talked a little on the Sunday podcast about the uh, the San Francisco closer situation. The move had just been made where they removed Sergio Romo from the closer's role. They obviously have a couple of options there they're going with what they say is it's going to be Santiago Casilla and uh, Jeremy Felt seem like they're kind of the front runners there based on what they've said uh, to lead this uh, this uh, what you want to call a committee but it's basically kind of a tandem uh, for the short term uh, they didn't really say anything about at least I haven't seen it since that uh, that about the possibility of Robo gaining his job certainly is a good possibility you know, it's a great piece in breaking it down. It's kind of convinced me that Romo will get the job back. I, I was skeptical despite the fact that the only thing that really seemed to be uh, screwing him was the ridiculous jump in home run rate allowance. Uh, but, you know, you want to wax a little more on uh, that. And I think it's I, I think it's some interesting stuff you shared in that piece. And and uh, uh, be interesting to see how long it takes Romo to get the job back if he does. Yeah, the the. the was like, you know, I looked at the different uh, candidates to replace Romo um, and sort of talk through the lens, lens of, of uh, the research that's been out there about, uh, you know, related to, to closer change, you know, uh, lightly relating velocity and strikeout rate to, to, to closer change. Um, and we know that lefties are, are less, less likely to take over. So that's sort of the lens that I look at these things. So, um, you know, Affelt, uh, he's not a loogie, but if you take him and make him the closer, then Lopez is your only lefty, and I think that's the sort of way that managers uh, stay away from having lefty closers is that it takes a lefty away from them, in a way. Um, also, the lefty closer seeds the platoon advantage to two-thirds of baseball or whatever, so uh, that's, that's a little awkward, I think. So, and then Affelt doesn't really have closer velocity anymore, and um, so I, I think he's a really less than ideal fit. He hasn't done a lot of closing over over his history with the Giants. Santiago was for the Giants before Romo. Um, so I think that Casilla actually fits velocity uh, standpoint from fits from a velocity standpoint. Has okay strikeout rate. There are people in the pen with a better strikeout rate, but um, you know, given that he was one of the people mentioned, I see it for now. Uh, you know, one of the, I had a plucky commenter um, who 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 sums it up. Oh, he's just hanging sliders. That's it uh, about Romo. <clears throat> well, that's nice and all, but it doesn't really tell us anything about the future. I, you know, okay, he's hanging sliders. Will he continue to hang sliders? Is is there something there? And from what I've talked to <clears throat> with Romo and, and people around the team, they don't think that there's anything that's really missing in particular. So uh, the changeup's been better than ever. This year, so I don't think the lefty-righty split is as bad as um, it's been in the past, and uh, I just think he's going to stop hanging sliders. I mean, he's got the right park to sort of trust himself and just throw the slider and and and, and get back on top of it. And uh, he's—I think he's gone through this before in terms of short samples. 
Um, I can remember times when he's given up a couple homers in a row. So, you know, I think it's going to take a couple outings and then he'll be back in. You know, the more interesting thing is trading. So w- the Giants have shown that they'll trade for really fast. And there are a ton of relievers out there. Um, you know, there's got, um, you know, Steve Shishek has got to be at least motivated, even though it looks like the Marlins value really more than some other people. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of relievers out there There are, there, you know, you can get them every year. The giants do get them a lot. Um, so they will t- target that, but will they, are there a lot of available relievers that will automatically come in and, and close over a healthy Romo? Um, and, a, and a going and a, and a Romo that's going well. I, you know, I could be back as soon as next week, um, and uh, and I would probably take him over a newcomer. Just, you know, have you ever heard of the monkey sphere? The monkey sphere says, you know, <laughs> hey hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around. Um, uh, that's not I've, the monkey sphere, I guess, huh? Embarrassing fact, which is that was my first favorite band. But that, <laughs> that's awesome. Right. So, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I will apologize to everyone later. Uh, um, I think you just did right now. <laughs> we could save so, that. <laughs> the, the monkey sphere says that the, um, the newest monkey is at the bottom, and it doesn't matter their age. Uh, so in a family of monkeys, if there's a stepfather monkey that comes in, the uh, son monkey who's younger than him, is actually ahead of him in the hierarchy at first. So I think that even if Steve Sishek on some levels looks like a better reliever, I'm not sure that, you know, Bochi, who's very loyal and, and uses and, and very uh, trusting of his players, is going to say, ah, oh, Sishek, you're the closer, Romo. Uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your work. Um, and uh, this is the new pecking order, and, and, good, and good luck, everyone. So um, I have... I think it's about 75% likely that Romo is the close of the rest of the way. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think you made some excellent points there uh, about Romo specifically. I mean, it makes me think, okay, if he's hanging sliders, and this just kind of goes back to my, I don't want to, I don't know want to call it a theory, but I'm not really sure what else to call it. Just that uh, as for as long as the pitcher remains in his closer role, he doesn't see a need to work on what he needs to work on. Uh, and I mean, in the past, if he's had these kind of short stints of, of issues, giving up homers here and there, he has, uh, there's a good chance that he wasn't the closer. I mean, basically last season was the fir- his first, uh, where he was basically exclusively the closer. Um, and, and I think that, uh, hang sliders, obviously that's some, I mean, that could be something where it simply is, it's a case of getting on top of a pitch, uh, and maybe something really minor, as, uh, mechanically and, and, uh, I, to me, a lot of this comes down to timing. Like you said, if he gets this under wraps in a couple of weeks, I do think that it makes me wonder because the Giants have been in the past, they've been reluctant to put him in the closers role, even though clearly he's been a dominant reliever for multiple seasons uh, and was for a couple of seasons, even before they finally did relent and put him in the closers role. Maybe they kind of look at this as a long extent and because of the, his usage and the way that they may be concerned about his long-term health and they say, well... Uh, if we do trade for a closer caliber pitcher, it's it's a good excuse to go back to using Romo in a way that we felt was more effective in terms of managing him in a number of ways. I, I mean, I, I, I can't help but think that that's a possibility. Boshi has typically been pretty loyal, but uh, he's also been loyal to, I think, what's kind of what he perceives as to be best for his players. Or I guess if the Giants, is front, if the Giants front office convinces him. Uh, that it might be best for his players that he might go along with that as well. Those are good points, but you know, uh, uh, Romo's a free agent at the end of the year, so I don't who cares? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> as worried, there definitely was a sort of elbow tenderness. Uh, throws a ton of sliders. Slight guy. Let's 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 manage him. He's had you know sort of he hasn't had a ton of DL stints, but he's had a lot of time where he's not available. You know. Um, and and he and he wasn't so big on sort of back to back to back and all that stuff. So uh, there definitely is a lot in what you're saying that it's true. I just think that uh, with the way this team is competing, the way they're built, and the way the fact that he's a free agent, I think that they might just uh, you know, say he's he's the best pitcher in that pen. Um, and and I you know for what it's worth, there's also a velocity thing going on. He is the worst velocity closer 
in in baseball or second worst to Koji Wehara. But it's very it's very Weharian. Way 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 har way 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 anyway. It's Jose <laughs> uh, Wehara, nice. Uh, it's very much like uh, Koji Wehara's uh, approach, which is very good command, very good, um, you know, second pitch, um, and uh, in sort of pitching backwards, where pitchers, uh, batters expect the splitter, batters expect the slider, and uh, you you boom that four seam in there every once in a while. Um, I think uh, the point you make about those two, I think, I mean, I generally agree because, I mean, there's there is there's generally a what is, I mean, I would only describe it as a very high correlation between velocity and, uh, uh, and typically, you know, a closer for, for a variety of reasons. And a lot of them are more than just correlation, but, um, just, I mean, in a vacuum, those things are kind of a very strong correlation, but I mean, it, if you get a guy who has great swing and miss stuff, I mean, as way harder splitter in particular has proven to be, as you said, and, and of course, a Romo slider. I mean, really, ultimately, all that matters is that it's swing and miss, right? I mean, is if you get a guy who can do that, and and these are both guys who are clearly not candidates to start or swing or anything like that. I mean, they're they're spot on relievers. They really are best in kind of a one inning role. Um, I mean, as long as it's swing and miss, does that really matter? Yeah. I'm asking. I don't know if you. I mean, just in, they're going to they're going to prove to be an exception to the rule because it's. I mean, velocity just in general helps you get that those those whiffs. So, Zeke, right? You don't get a lot of guys who don't have strikeouts and also don't have velocity. Right. Uh, so you know when you do have exceptional command and get a lot of strikeouts and we're almost strike, but swing strike rates uh, is better than ever or same as ever. So yeah. Uh, Kind of believe that there's, um, you know, some some wrinkles he needs to iron out, but um, uh, the, there is an archetype for Sergio Romo and Koji Wehara. There's not as much an archetype for uh, ground balling, platoon split, Darren O'Day type uh, to become a closer. So for what that's <laughs> well, for what that's worth, it's still worth way more than what the White Sox going on, and we've touched on this situation. Uh, actually, I don't even want to call it touch because it sounds gross if you talk if you think about the object of the touch. But um, the White Sox bullpen is it's nasty. Uh, I, I just you know, basically want to see what you think as far as uh, what is your what's your latest viewpoint now that, for instance, Zach Putnam picked up a save on Saturday. Um, Jake Petrica, uh, however you say his name, again that's. Uh, these are going to be mild problems in the sleeper in the bus podcast when names come up and look kind of funky. But anyway, um, viewpoints change in, in, any, in any of these guys. Now that Ron Belisario is out, it's pure committee. Putnam has put his name in the race. Um, nobody stands out. Yeah, we're going back to that lens of sort of velocity and strikeout rates. And, and then also, I, I forgot to say, who got save is very important i mean that's uh that's you know who's closing now (laughs) (laughs) putnam has to be in there because he got a save petrica has to be in there because he got a save um those things are relevant Um, lindstrom will be relevant when he's healthy nate jones will be relevant when he's healthy these things might happen in august but for now looking at is sort of putnam uh petrica and Javi Guerra, I think that that's the, the 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 group we're looking at. Daniel Webb has velocity, but he strikes out as many people as he walks. I think, you know, that's just that's just such so far in the wrong direction that it's just he's not being considered. I mean, he has two holds, so yeah. he's not a guy that they're they're using in a way that suggests uh, that he's in the in the group. Some people might be surprised Guerra in there, but Javi Guerra has only been with the team for twelve games, and he already has three holds. Um, he actually has the best combination of strikeout rate and velocity of anybody. So if you if you like the strikeout rate and velocity uh, 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 sort of approach, Javi Guerra is your man. So I'm actually, and even though he has a crazy delivery where he jumps off the mound and <laughs> that he's uh, commanded in the odd year, he commands it and, and things work for him. So Javi Guerra, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't poo poo him. Um, don't poo-poo him. So uh, he's done it before. 
Don, yeah, well, with the I, Dodgers, I mean, obviously it's a different. Th- but some people look at that and they say, "Hey, I, I see that you've done this before. <laughs> Would you like to give it a shot?" I mean, that's that matters to at least the old school guys. It's funny because uh, Derek Hardy did a great. We showed it; it hasn't mattered much. But that's that's looking at all the different managers. So you, you have to think about what Ron Ventura will think. You know, yeah. and Ron Ventura seems decently old school. I don't know. I think he could. I think he could care about that. I don't know. Um, we don't have track record with Ventura either so we can we can't really say what he's going to do so then you got the two young guys Petrica and Putnam what I like about them is they're both big ground ball guys but mm-hmm. uh, is that he's got the velocity Putnam's down around 90 uh, but what I like about Putnam is he's got a better strikeout minus walk rate Petrica's you know strikes out about six six and a half per nine and walks four and a half per nine that's a very that's sort of a small razor thin margin and um, so and also, when Petrica got one of those saves, he came in after Belisario blew it. So that meant that Petrica was actually not going to be in that game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think... Not pitch the eighth. I think so. what's what's most... Attra- I mean, ultimately, Putnam, at the very least, he sets up as he... Prof- I mean, he is strictly... He's like... He's kind of like the very poor man's version of the Band-Aid that Casilla seems to be in San Fran in the sense that he has this heavy ground ball rate that's forged by a sinker splitter. I forget which he throws, but I think it's a splitter um, where uh, – He's yeah. a sort of league average strikeout rate, so it's not, it's not that he you know, it does everything on the ground. And you know, he's not a Jim Johnson or whatever. I mean he, he – he, or he's sort of Jim Johnson-esque actually, but uh, – you know, 90 miles an hour is a little bit something to worry about, but um, maybe that also means they're not too worried about making him expensive. Maybe they don't think that Putnam's going to be great shakes in two, three, four years when they're um, competing. So maybe they're just like, hey, he'll, you know, maybe we'll deal him um, if, if we if he closes and somebody wants him. So uh, I, if I have to pick, I think I go Putnam get Petrico. Yeah, uh, I mean. I think this says pretty much what any team is going to view Putnam as uh, for the long term. Um, his <clears throat> his major league uh, entries on his player page read 2011 Indians, 2012 Rockies, 2013 Cubs, 2014 White Sox. That's <laughs> I, I mean, it's yeah. But right now, 2014 White Sox and maybe he picks you up a couple of saves. I put in a few bucks on him in Tal Wars. We'll see how that goes. I'm not, I'm not going to be heartbroken, and I'm not expecting much. It might, maybe he's the perfect for them right now because really, they're. I mean, Belisario was an obvious band-aid guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a guy that they're counting on the future. So uh, I don't think that Belisario was. You know, we want this guy around forever, and he's going to be our closer. And he was like, yeah, band-aid. You know, we're not going to be good this year. Let's let's. Oh, yeah, no, make a mistake. I'm just saying, well, I'm saying as far as Putnam is concerned, because as you mentioned, I mean, uh, Nate Jones and Matt Lindstrom start to become options maybe as, in as soon as a month, month and a half or so. And then it's Putnam looks like the latest and greatest band aid. <laughs> and speaking of closing possibilities, uh, of course, uh, it depends on how you look at this, but uh, Neftali Felice is basically he's now considered a candidate for promotion in Texas. And Texas is a team at this point, I think is looking in the mirror and saying, we ain't going to do this. Uh, and so they, they've talked about the possibility of moving players. The only reason I'm going to bring up Felice is because I guess there's a possibility that uh, they'll move Joaquin Soria. That's certainly been speculated on. I don't really know how likely that is, but uh, does Felice become not only a candidate for promotion, but once the Soria deal goes down, then the candidate to move into the closer picture. I think it's possible simply because, that's that seems like kind of the guy they've wanted to put in there all along, and they're not really going to have to worry about too much about cost control with him, especially because of the time remaining in the season. What do you think about that? Certainly possible. Um, you know, the Carlos Pena move. Ugh. <laughs> uh, what does that say? That says to me, we're we're gonna we're you know we're gonna try to <laughs> work out. The, Rock the boat too much. Saria's not under contract for next year, if I remember correctly. Okay, then he is definitely a candidate to be dealt. Um, you know, but the, the only the only thing that I wanted to say about this was just that there's so many uh, pitchers out there that are that are available. That, and you know, I think that the Rangers could learn a lot by putting Feliz in eighth and and 
seeing if his velocity is there and he can get leverage out. So um, I wouldn't bet too heavily on any reliever being moved just because there are so many of them. How many buyers are there really that really want relievers and how much are they going to spend? I think that's, I think the one, that's the one of the overrated uh, term, types of analysis is, is worrying too much about where a reliever is going to go. I mean, it's like, you know, one or two of them is going to go somewhere and probably won't even be a closer because the closers get expensive in trade talks. I mean, we yeah. saw those documents where they were asking for uh, Giolito or Lucas Harrell. I mean... <laughs> well, that's interesting. I actually haven't seen any of those documents. I did see the the big hubbub about the leaks. Uh, wow. That, I mean, that's... Yeah, that is that is quite interesting. And we've seen... Uh, the markets attempt to set the uh, the markets. The Marlins attempt to set the market uh, regarding things with Steve Ciszek and uh, a number of other players around that. Uh, around. Going. They traded a real asset for Brian Morris. I don't even right. think that. I think they'll want more traded away for Morris, and I'm not sure that a lot of people want to give that up for Ciszek. So right. Yep, that's it's kind of ugly. I think in the in the end, the lesson is still. Screw relievers and don't pay for them. Meanwhile, uh, let's move into some stuff about hitters. The, to me, they're just a lot more comforting. Uh, we, we've had a request on this, and I, I almost want to apologize for, in a way, delaying talking about Salvador Perez. But uh, the encouraging thing is that he homered again last night, so it helps us answer the question a little more completely because of that one little factoid. Uh, but basically, we've been asked, is it time to sell high on Salvador Perez and my summation on the answer without getting too deep into it or looking at the numbers is probably not because I think this is more so the player we were expecting rather than the player who slumped for the first month and a half of the season. Uh, am I missing something here? I mean, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, as, I don't know, he's, the, he's this guy who, who makes contact, has a decent amount of power. Um, you know, this year it's working out in terms of homers. But if you look at his isolated slugging percentage, it's about the same as it's ever been. So I don't think he's suddenly a 20-homer guy. Um, I think that he's a, an annual 10 to 15-homer guy that will hit um, 18 to 20 homers a couple times in his career and therefore become overrated. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at him. Uh, he, I mean, he's, he's only 24 years old. Uh, there's certainly a possibility that there's a little more power, especially because I, I think of his – I mean, he's he's got this kind of classic – uh, when I swing bat, ball can go far. Frame of six three, two forty five ish, something in that na- neighborhood, where there's there's a lot of uh, power p- uh, potential in the frame, but uh, you know it didn't, depends on a lot of other things. But uh, I mean, he's he's just he's a good hitter. Uh, he had a, I think he just had a rough period there. It's certainly not anything to overvalue, but uh, I, 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 if you if you can sell him as a twenty home run hitter. Sure, why not? Uh, somebody who's willing to buy that, but otherwise, uh, I mean, let's not. I don't. I wouldn't get carried away, and I'd be happy to have him. No, I, I when you when you said the hit the ball, it goes far. Uh, I I remembered uh, Benito Santiago, um, who who had these classic post game interviews. Where, I see the ball. I hit it hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benito Santiago, that guy was. Probably because he hung on for so long was probably probably end up being a little underappreciated uh, because you know in the kind of at the peak of his career and for for a large portion of his career he was really one of the best catchers in the game. Uh, but yeah. anyway, we'll uh, we can wax about him some other time. Do want to get to this is this is interesting. I'd be interested to see how this plays. Uh, you know, I have to say when I looked at possible projections for this upcoming season. I did not do Domingo Santana based on a lot of things and partially what it was kind of his, uh, his, his development, the way he was moving up the ladder and combined with the fact that we know we, we've seen how Houston has handled their other prospects and I like Santana as a talent, but I figured, all right, this is, this is clearly a, at, at minimum or at best, excuse me, it's a, late season to you know uh, September 2014 debut but it's on all likelihood a June 2015 type debut now the Astros have caught him up and it's like are, are they going for it here I mean what's going on I, I assume you don't call up a player like this when you're Houston and sit him on the bench 
Uh, and this kind of so this came out of nowhere to me. I like the skills and stuff like that. He's kind of a strikes me as kind of a poor man's. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a uh, poor man's George Springer, I guess. But <laughs> we have a other guy on the team. Um, yeah, I, I I he doesn't quite have the same speed, um, and we'll we'll have to and see. The power. Yeah, we'll have to see if the defense measures up. Um, and uh, the power is probably not quite as nice either. But, um, you know, I think in terms of uh, the, the Super 2 thing and, and, and user control, I think some of that, um, we might be overblowing it. I don't know. I've, I've definitely used it a lot, and I, I think it's definitely something that teams think about. I mean, you can't, you can't imagine that they don't. But, um, you know, what you see a lot of times is, like, Oscar Tavares. Oh, when will he come up? When will he come up? Oh, he comes up. Not so great. Team is competitive. They need to do something else. They send him back down. So you know, uh, you know, and we've even seen this with the with the uh, Astros before. Guy comes up, gets 150 plate appearances. Get to see you know some some of his stats stabilize. Get a nice little sample of stats. If it's not working out, um, you know, you figured out a couple things he can work on. Send him back to the minor leagues and let him work on those things. So. Um, I, I think that uh, they could bring him up now and he could go be back in the minors and be back in September. So um, I'm not going to – I'm going to uh, put the line for Santana somewhere south of George Springer uh, where he was ranked in prospect rankings and what I perceive his bus rate based on the strikeout rate um, and, um, and the fact that the Astros move guys up and down a lot. So if it, if it doesn't really work out in a redraft, especially, um, I think he could be back in the minors again soon. Yeah, I mean that's basically that's my expectation. It's nothing against Santana. Um, I think, I think basically, if anything, they just created the possibility where Santana walks into the clubhouse and Springer's like, "This dude, what the f?" And he's <laughs> kind of pissed. He's like, "This didn't work. This didn't happen for me." And I'm a little older than this guy. No, no, no. But anyway, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, just it's. It's interesting that they do it. I think it's basically, yeah, I think if anything, it's a move where they say, hey, this guy's kind of really not, um, he's, he hasn't really had an opportunity to work on anything because of the way he's hitting at the AAA level. Let's bring him up and maybe see if we can find some weaknesses and send him back down or something like that. Because it's really not going to matter. I mean, I, I, I would never perceive this as this is a call up or good. But uh, I, I think it's, I mean, it's just it's interesting to me that they they choose to do so, and I can't think of any other reason, maybe other than the, the kind of a developmental speed up uh, as a reason to do it. But uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I've seen some folks say, uh, "Hey, maybe this is a mix. This is a very deep mix league pickup." I think, yeah, it's possible uh, if he comes up and kind of isn't exposed as far as his weaknesses go early on. But uh, the the Astros would be much less likely to be, you know, much less inclined to ride it out for uh, for a distinctive period the way they did with for instance with Springer who eventually busted out of it whereas uh, this is basically if you catch lightning in a bottle for a few weeks or a month cool um, but if not then uh, I mean this is uh, I wouldn't be spending a lot of money on him or anything like that as far as uh, I mean the, this has also come out that the, the Cardinals are calling up Oscar Tavares uh, and uh, I, I'm going to perceive this as uh, this is this is quite potentially for good unless he struggles for an, uh, some length of time. This one, I, I guess, in the end, once I saw the news, I was like, oh, this doesn't surprise me because now it's it's probably been about long enough uh, for him to go back down. Uh, the Cardinals they continue to be an, uh, a team that is disappointing, I guess to say the least overall. And it's I mean, it's a player who undoubtedly should be owned regardless of the league type at this point. Uh, but uh, any, any any cautions, any excitements, or anything like that for you? I'm I'm a little bit more excited this time around. Um, I mean, there's some nice peripherals actually. I mean, uh, he had um, he had about uh, 35 balls in play and not a single infield fly ball. That's that's nice to see. So it's a bit of a line drive type stroke, um, even if the uh, line drive rate itself was subpar. Uh, it just it says he's not hitting it straight up in the air. I love the 2.5% swing strike rate. Um, I'm not pretending that it's stabilized or anything, but um, I do like always looking at the bigger samples and, and um, 
saw 158 pitches is probably the biggest number on his on his uh, Fangraphs page. So, um, you know, 158 pitches and he swung and missed, you know, 2.5 percent of the time. That's that that's a lot better than a 17 and a half percent strikeout rate. So, uh, I believe the projections say he'll get that strikeout rate down to about 13 percent. Um, and uh, I just wrote a piece on on Sports on Earth today about how um, you know the the strike rate uh, this year in baseball is worse than it's ever been in, in baseball's history. But at the same time, Bill James just found that the low strikeout rate guys that are out there um, are finally outperforming the high strikeout rate guys for the first time in decades. So uh, that it's a very interesting um, difference because as there is less offense, there's actually uh, less reason to be worried about strikeouts because if there's nobody on the base path, uh, the strikeout is the same as a, as a ground out or a fly out. Um, you know, because the value of a ground out and fly out is if there's somebody on base that you might have. Um, so if there's no internal game pressure to have fewer strikeouts right now, but at the same time, we're seeing that there are guys like Mr. Martinez, Vlad Guerrero, those guys the guys that have power and don't strike out are, are some of the most valuable players in the game. Um, so I continue to like low strikeout sluggers. It's, it's what I would look for um, if I was scouting. Uh, it's what I would look for in minor league rates, um, and it's why I like Oscar Tavares a lot. Well, there's, and those are, that's really kind of... Uh... Really, really enjoy those insights, like you said, about the the the, the strikeouts. And obviously, because uh, I never really thought about it before, but the value of them is relative to the type, the amount of offense being produced. Um, I mean, that certainly seems like a pretty valid and obvious thing when you think about it. But uh, never would have thought about it until you <laughs> brought that up. And Bill James, uh, perhaps uh, for a better way of putting it, uh, discovered it. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And it's. Uh, I guess it kind of is a good segue into, I mean, I, I like Tavares, uh, and uh, we've talked about him. Now Mookie Betts is up. I have to like this guy, too. He doesn't strike out. He gets on base. Uh, just anything to add on that as far as, I mean, we've talked about him a little bit here, but uh, now that he's up, and up sooner than I expected, probably even sooner than you expected, uh, but this is, you know, this is clearly, this is his opportunity as long as he takes it and runs with it a bit. Yeah, it I mean, it's such a complicated thing. Baseball is so complicated because, you know, there's this other uh, research from Chris St. John who says that uh, the bus rate on, with high strikeout rates and low walk rates is, is bad. Um, so we know that. But he also found that there's um, that a, a, a player with a high walk rate and a low strikeout rate has a higher productivity rate, but that there is a little bit of difference when it comes to superiority. So if you think about like Javier Baez versus Mookie Betts, right? Javier Baez has a, has a this is an argument in your favor because you, you're, uh, we've had this argument before about uh, Baez. Baez and a, a low uh, walk rate and a high strikeout rate. That puts him in a bad bin for uh, bust or not. But there have been plenty of guys like that who figured it out and been superior. So it's kind of like this idea of... The ceiling is higher. The ceiling is higher. He's going to swing hard. And if he if he makes enough contact, the Springer type, right? If yeah. He makes contact. It's going to be powerful, and it's it's athletic, and it's toolsy. Maybe there's different words you can put on it, but the ceiling is higher, and the floor is lower. Mookie is a classic, you know, lower ceiling, higher floor guy, um, and I think you can see it um, a little bit in in Cameron's piece where he, he found other guys that might be um, that might be. Uh, guys that uh that could be like Mookie Betts um but um uh he, on that list was Omar Infante and Dustin Pedroia you know it's like uh okay <laughs> let's <laughs> Infante uh, and and you know if he if he is you know I I would be a little disappointed I you know I've 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 interviewed Mookie Betts and I really thought he was a smart dude and I and I really enjoyed um, you know his stats. I love the the low strikeout rate and the high and the high power. Uh, and it has actually been high power. I mean, he's had near 200 ISOs. You know, in some ways, he has he has 
maybe uh, a very Pedroia-like thing, but he could steal more bases because he's stolen more bases than Pedroia did in the minors. So um, the only caveat I have on top of my rambling that I'm going to conclude now is that Mookie is <laughs> an outfielder and not a second baseman. And um, when you're talking about a guy who could hit 280 with 10 to 15 homers and 30 stolen bases in a full season, um, with obviously a little bit more upside beyond that, but that's I think that would be a good Mookie Betts. I mean, that's uh, Leonis Martin or whatever in terms of 5x5. Five five. And, um, you know, he'll have more real-life value than Leonis Martin. But, he, you know, how excited are you about Leonis Martin, really? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, those are pretty good numbers. I would certainly take it. I think, I mean, all the points are great. They're valid. And I think, uh, I mean, Betts is, Betts is exciting. And, uh, I mean, I, th- I would imagine, I mean, for long-term you know, as far as we're talking about the long term uh, for the Red Sox, I mean, they, sooner or later they'll probably have to come to terms with what Dustin Pedroia is kind of slowly becoming. And is it, I mean, he's an icon. He's probably not going anywhere in, in Boston. But uh, I mean, Betts fits better in the infield. Maybe um, maybe he can move back to shortstop and they keep Bogarts at third base. Who knows? But I, I think, um, and this is something we touched on on Sunday that that some of this, as far as fantasy value goes, is going to be how your league determines elig- position eligibility because some leagues assign it smack dab for the middle of the season or they assigned it sometime last fall or winter and it's shortstop or second base. And it's been that way ever since. And the Red Sox have since made the change. And, and some others, I've seen it where it's uh, either they it's purely based on whatever the guy earns after he's promoted or it's assigned uh, sometime late, you know, much later in the season, or it's assigned as soon as he's caught up and plays his first game at whatever that position is. Some of this is going to, uh, I mean, that's that's going to matter. And uh, I mean, it's kind of an unfortunate little um, nuance of, of position eligibility in fantasy leagues. It's, I, I don't want to call it unfortunate. It's just that, I mean, that's something you have to deal with. And uh, bets have, it, clearly the numbers play better at a middle infield position as they would for anybody. And I, I think can think of no better segue into... Uh, he's actually a, a, a shortstop uh, second baseman so it's kind of weird because he hasn't been playing a lot of shortstop and I, from what I hear he doesn't really like shortstop I don't think he's going back to shortstop but um, you know I, I, uh, I for, for in redrafts I think he's absolutely a great pickup especially for guys looking for speed so yeah very cool and I, I think there's no better segue into the type of player that Betts is than uh, and jumping into Jonathan Vilar or VR uh, depending on where you live, as far as the pronunciation goes, but he was finally demoted. This was this had to be coming. Uh, was a guy that I really didn't want to touch coming into the season based on a lot of warning signs. Uh, and people thought of this as kind of late round speed in mixed leagues and a decent uh, consolation prize in AL only leagues as a guy uh, to get that speed. But yeah, you know, the, the age old uh, can't steal first base kind of thing comes in. Marwin Gonzalez is the guy who takes over at shortstop and. Uh, you know, there's there's probably really nothing going on as far as Gonzalez is concerned um, in fantasy leagues, but he did hit a big time bomb last night. Uh, I mean, he's you know he's AL only property. Uh, you see anything positive coming out of it? I mean, this is Houston is clearly a team that's it's been making some it's shuffling some things up now, and it's hard to see exactly what the motivation is, but we can make some guesses. Um, anything that comes out of this is there anybody that you have your eye on as as uh, maybe that's not in the picture right now that benefits from this down the road no i think it's a band-aid thing they're they're switching one band-aid for another marwin gonzalez i think is probably a better defender than vr um he's another lower ceiling guy but i think they're just deciding that vr's flaws outweigh his positives uh you know you know gonzalez strike out much better than the league average. He's not going to walk at a league average rate. He's not going to show any power, and he's not going to show any speed. But he's going to be a glove. And uh, and maybe he can be, if he doesn't get too expensive before Korea's ready, um, he can be a, a, a good backup glove and utility guy who can play all over the diamond uh, when the Astros are better and Korea is raking at short. I still I believe in Korea. I like Korea. Um, I like him a little bit less than Russell, but I like him a lot. And um, just in terms of shortstop prospects across the league. But, I mean, Korea's Korea's coming. Uh, I think he's going to be the full-time shortstop um, sometime next year, or at least sometime next year and be the full-time shortstop by 2016. Uh, So, 
the meantime, they're just going to look at Marwin and see if he can be a utility guy when Korea's up. Um, he could be, a, I think, with the glove, non-terrible sort of strikeout and walk rates. I mean, they're pretty close to terrible, but non, non-atrocious. Um, he could be a guy who can play short and second and, and go around to the diamond and, and be helpful to you in that way. Uh, VR is a little bit more all or nothing uh, than that. So um, I don't think that this is news for anybody other than AL only leagues, like you said. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm a total believer in Korea, Korea as well. Uh, really impressive to me in the limited stuff I've seen, as well as, I mean, seeing with with my own eyes. As far as, and then obviously the numbers have been fantastic uh, from a number of perspectives too. So that's really encouraging. I think it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, positive note to end on because otherwise I was, if I was going to end on somebody like VR and Marwin Gonzalez, I was going to be pretty freaking depressed. Going to what is really big. Soccer match for the USMNT. Yeah. <laughs> so we thank you all for joining us for the sleeper in the bus. Uh, you know, thank you once again for joining us and shedding such a fantastic light on many baseball situations for the fantasy players. Yeah, sticking with us, guys. You know, uh, we figured out the internet thing. Uh, I want to bash my computer over the head for whatever uh, RAM thing is is making my voice digitize. Uh, we'll figure that out pretty soon. I may just have to uh, to uh, use my phone for any. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did that uh, during this podcast, um, and uh, and uh, you know, allow me to say myself, I do think our banter is uh, is getting better and better. But um, I agree. We uh, we would love all feedback, banter, or uh, digitized voice related um, in the future, and. Uh, we love you guys, and, and thanks for listening. Yes, thank you guys, as always. And uh, again, this has been The Sleeper and the Bust, episode number 136. Uh, until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.